I think that's one of the most drawing things to anglers and just people in general wanting to spend time on the water is that that aspect of it especially with the nature of the fishing it's like if you're not locked in like you're talking about like you're definitely not going to catch anything right you know what i mean you have to be ready to capitalize on the quickest shortest opportunity three two one scotty take it away you want me to start it out that's what the countdown was for. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, here we are, boys. Welcome back to uh, another podcast. We, uh, we're we down here in Charleston. We've got Bryant here, and Yo. we've got our boy Rob. Um, been doing a little uh, red fishing today. Kind of a, a last-minute send down here uh, to to do a little red fishing. And um, it's been... It's been a fun day for, especially for us too. We are coming uh, off of like an editing tear. This has been a, he- a editing hiatus. Yeah, that's the word you were looking for. That's the word. Exactly. That was a good word choice there, bud. Yeah, yeah. I said siesta a while ago, but <laughs> no, not a siesta. Both of them work though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm doing both. I'm impressed. But to paint the picture, we've we've had a long day of red fishing. We've been up since 6 a.m. Then we got a little Mexican food, filled up the bellies. Had maybe a margarita or two. Red beer. Red beer. And here we are. But uh, for the people who don't know, Rob, tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, kind of how long you've been doing that down here. Um, so basically, since I graduated college in 2017, I've been a fishing guide in Charleston. Kind of started off my career in like my junior, senior year of college and grew it into what it is today really this is like my fifth or sixth year i graduated in the spring of 2017 so i guess like four and a half five years actually but um yeah basically doing mainly guided fishing fly fishing and some conventional and inshore and offshore fishing and just um some some tours around charleston but mainly focused around fishing in the Charleston area and like south down towards Beaufort and a little bit north sometimes too, but yeah, kind of the main deal. Killing it, dude. Sounds like you've been, I mean, you you ran what, like roughly 300 trips this year? Or something yeah, like something that? like that. I'd say like between 250 and 300, just guessing. Yeah. But yeah, so definitely a lot of fishing, you know, most days, most days working. What does the red fishing kind of strategy and everything look like down here in the Charleston area, low country area? Um, like what kind of fishing are we doing and what's the approach? And especially like for a lot of people who maybe are just familiar with trout fishing, um, because like we talked about today, a lot of your spin fishing clients are really surprised when you tell them that you fly fish for redfish. Right. But what is the, what is the red fishing uh, strategy kind of look like typically? Um, I'd say... Most of it is just around getting in shallow water and looking for them, actually truly sight fishing. I mean, a lot of guys spend a lot of time, you know, fishing areas where you know there's fish, just blind casting and whatnot with whatever kind of conventional tackle. But for what I'm doing and a lot of just the fly fishing, specifically targeting them is in shallow water getting in grass flats and really shallow creeks just where you're able to see some indication of their presence so that you can make, you know, make a cast so you're not just whipping the fly rod around, you know, all day 
trying to find a spot where they're sitting at. But um, I'd say that's probably the main thing focusing on, like when you're just looking at looking at the area and how to fish for them, it's getting in the shallows and areas that are harder for most boats to reach. You know, most most people in Charleston, if you just see the average boats on the water, are like bigger center consoles, like 24 foot with a family on them doing stuff like that. So a lot of the good fishing is just in areas that are harder to access with the, you know, typical boat. Yeah. We got back in some pretty sneaky stuff today. So I like, let's, before we kind of get too far into it, let's zoom out a little bit. What does the kind of water basin and waterway look like down here relative to, or just like, what are we looking at in terms of there's an ocean, there's marsh, there's fresh water coming in. Where is it that we're typically fishing, you know, or you're fishing down here um, for redfish and like, where are you finding them? Um, yeah, so good question. I mean, they've, they've got so many different habitats. That's really kind of one of my favorite things about redfish is that you can target them in so many different areas, but the general setup is just going to be, you know, we have the Atlantic on the East coast here in South Carolina. So you have a lot of inlets coming in and some of them are, you know, tidal inlets where it's only ocean water moving back and forth through that inlet with the, you know, moon and tides fluctuating. But there's also spots where there's a true freshwater river that's always, you know, pouring water out and both, you know, create a good habitat for fishing and all, but just the freshwater rivers will affect the salinity a lot. So you might be fishing closer to the ocean for a lot of the saltwater species in a place where there's a lot of freshwater outflow versus, you know, a very tidal area where it's all salt, you know, salinity. You may be, you can kind of fish you know, everywhere throughout there. It just, that's kind of the general aspect of it at least. Yeah. So it's like ocean, big ocean, and then it kind of calms down in the marsh area. And that's yeah. where the kind of the tide Trickle, It trickles into, trick. it turns into marsh. Just, there's a lot of barrier islands. That's a good way to explain it too. There's barrier islands that protect the marsh. Oh yeah. yeah. You're, Sorry. You're good. Yeah, you're good. You said drifting. <laughs> but yeah, there. that. Yeah, no, sh- you got right. lost in talking about this this place. I, I get it. Yeah, exactly. Just slowly, <laughs> just drifting. Just starts boys. thinking about redfish. Just Gosh. drifting. What was I saying? But yeah, there's a lot of the barrier islands protect like what the Spartina grass that creates our marsh and also having those, you know, is a big effect on just the inshore habitat and all. It creates a lot of areas where, you know, they can have marsh essentially without our barrier islands and whatnot. There would be just too much erosion to really sustain the inshore fishery per se. Mm-hmm. Cause you kind of just have the, that's what everyone calls it. Just the inshore, you know, for anything that's behind the barrier islands extending right. inland, which is, that's what we saw today. Right. When we went out into like the, what do you call that? Just the main ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, where my terminology, I'm sound like you're from around here. Yeah. yeah there, I mean, there's so many different, Every, the funny thing is everyone refers to these bodies of water in different ways, almost like you may make up your own name for it half the time. But like the areas where the main freshwater rivers dump out or any tidal river, they call an inlet. And then some guys will call that a bay too. It just mm-hmm. depends on the size of it. Like the area we were at today, a lot of people call a bay. But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you keep drifting, dude. Yeah. I know. I got to get better about that. <laughs> 
Have to put some duct tape your hand right here. <laughs> Keep it right. Yeah, just I think like you this. should talk just like that with two. Do the two hand method. Do here. the two hand <laughs> method. <laughs> that'll that'll get me proper. Yeah. But um. That gets the redfish going. Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it is just th- thick marsh, you know. Yeah. Um. So I'm, dude. I'm just so, like, it blows my mind the whole moon cycle deal and the tide situation. So for you know, us who kind of are new to it, how how would you how would you best explain how the tide works with the moon and how that affects the fishing? You know what I mean? I know it's probably a deep thing to go into. Yeah, that's that's like it, my favorite thing to like think about, honestly. Right. About the whole fishing and tides thing around you know, anywhere in the southeast where there's a lot of tidal fluctuation, I feel like that's kind of the main almost thing that makes it difficult to figure out too, because it's just always changing. But um, I would just say it's it's the the moon and the tides. It's like the moon when it's on the far side of the earth from where you're located at. So if you're like where we're at, if the moon is on the opposite side of the globe, it's going to be a lower tide here because the gravitational pull is pulling all that water towards that side of the globe, essentially. So it's... um. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to have to... Get get my mic straight here. But yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. It's re- it's really just like the moon pulling the water to one side of the globe or the other. So it's, it's going to affect our fishing a lot because we're looking for the shallow waters and whatnot. So if it's high tide or low tide, it's going to affect, you know, where is kind of the shallowest areas to find them and all. So it's a lot to do with the grav the actual gravitational pull. Yeah, kind of because the, cause it, the I driving really force. Understood that. Yeah, um, yeah, the driving force. I feel like is the gravitational pull of the moon. So just when you have like a certain moon phases where the moon is gonna travel closer to the Earth and all, is when you'll have those bigger tides that people refer to as flood tides or king tides and all that. And versus other times where it's like in the winter where the Earth's axis is tilted a little bit you know, you'll have lower tides just because the earth's a little bit tilted away from where the gravity is affecting the water pull as much, which, like I said, I feel like is the most interesting thing to think about just because of how, like, it's so hard to even talk about. Yeah. Yeah, You're like, you think you know what you're talking about, but you're like, all right, as I'm saying this, I'm like, this is insane. You know what I mean? Right, right. That's why it's so cool though. Yeah. I love that. So to like a freshwater angler. So, from from my perspective, when I thought about saltwater fishing for redfish and tides and everything, I thought it was just standard. Every, like the tides were like standard everywhere, pretty much all over the U.S. I just didn't really give it much thought, and you know I'm just used to going down to Gulf Shores in Two Alabama. Foot tides. No less than that. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. See that like sounds amazing to me. Yeah. And when I first I need to turn my mic up a little bit. When I first, well, let's do it. When I first came to, I, I fished in Jacksonville, my first time red fishing ever. And it was like six to eight foot tides when we were there. And uh, so that was kind of mind blowing to me. Explain to the people at home what, like, exactly what a flood tide is. Like, to break it down. Why is it different here on the East Coast than, you know, in, in uh, like in the Gulf? 
Right. So the the main thing that makes us have <clears throat> such a bigger tide fluctuation in general on the East Coast is like if you zoom real out, like on a map of Google Earth or something, and you look at like from say the Outer Banks down to Jacksonville, it's like a big indentation. Like it's shaped like this. If you put your hand up, you know, it's like a curve in with Florida being my thumb down here. And the areas where it curves in the most have the most tidal fluctuation just due to the water draw into the into those areas. When there's and a full moon, essentially, it'll draw more water into those areas where it's more curved in on the coast. So when you have, like, say, a Charleston, we get an average five-and-a-half-foot tide. That's, like, on average, just if you took all the whole month and averaged it out. But on the full moon, when the Earth's axis is tilted and the moon's traveling just a little bit closer to Earth, it'll probably bring like an extra, you know, it varies depending on the actual moon phase and how close the Earth and the moon get in that particular time. But if you get anything over like a 5, 5.9, I'd say, is kind of where it starts getting up in the grass where you'll really see fish. Is that you're saying 5.9 feet? Yeah, 5.9 feet, which, like I said, average is around like five and a half or so. So when you start getting up where it's getting up in that range where it's really, really in the shallow Spartina grasses is when they'll start tailing it. And the flood tide thing, I feel like, came about really more because of, like, honestly, the clothing company and, like, just the whole kind of hype around the fly fishing thing like when i first started fishing for tailing redfish i didn't know what i didn't never heard of a flood tide i just knew it was a fish with his tail in the air yeah in the grass you know what i mean and people started calling it flood tides which is awesome it's a great term for yeah. it honestly but yeah just kind of developed i feel like more around what it actually was than anything king tides spring tides tailing tides People call it so many different things, but when does it usually happen? It's like, usually you mean just time of year wise? Yeah, generally. Generally between like April and October. Okay. And and some and it can be sometimes you'll have a wind where it's just pushing water in, like you have an east wind. You know, we're on the Atlantic facing east, so you have a heavy east wind for like four days. You can have a flood tide when the tide chart says it's supposed to be five feet which sometimes those are the best ones because it's not like everyone's sitting there looking at their tide app, mm -hmm. knowing to go on this particular day. Sometimes the wind, the wind tides are like better because there's no one out there, you know, thinking that it's going to be good. Is that when the wind just kind of would blow it? Like wind is going in a certain direction that would push a bunch of water. Push water yeah. And it okay. can go the opposite way too. You can have a great flood tide on your tide chart and you're like, heck yeah, this is going to be sick. And then it was a West wind and, you go out there out. and there's no water in the flat and tide chart says it's seven feet right there on your, yeah. you know, on the live data and it's just not happening. So it's, that's probably interesting. Interesting part about the flood tide fishing at least makes it harder yeah. to figure out the wind part. Cause it, even yeah. a couple inches sometimes can be like whether it's worth going or not mm -hmm. really. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that was, that was so kind of mind-boggling to me coming from just only experiencing the ocean there in gulf shores like southern alabama yeah i mean i and can't imagine coming to jacksonville is like oh yeah we got a nine foot tide today we we literally when i went we watched a jet ski get sucked up under 
a dock, I guess, on out. out oh, my God. Like, tide. it was ripping. Oh, yeah. it was absolutely That's ripping. That's nuts. I mean, I think the biggest tide I've ever seen recorded in Charleston was, like, eight point something feet. So, I mean, which is nuts for yeah. here. Because, like, down in, like, even Beaufort, which is just a, an hour south, that's, like, a 10-foot tide there. It's a little Damn. bit more there because they're a little bit more in on the dip, like I was talking about there, the yeah. way the coast is curved in. Basically, the biggest tides on the east coast are, like, near Savannah and, really? like, kind of Brunswick where that coast just dips in the most. Yeah. Yeah, that, I just thought that was really interesting because maybe I just never gave it much thought with, yeah. the, with the tides. I just thought... It was all the same. Well, there's, yeah. so, there's so much more to, to analyze and like you have to, so much more you have to think about. So much than more. when you're just going to go out and go fish for, you know, wild stream for some trout. Yeah. Or even like, I mean, I've never fished in some of those places in the Gulf even, but I've always almost envy some days when I'm out there and it's like a seven foot ripping tide and I'm pulling around and I'm like, gosh, I'd like to fish for some reds where it's like a two foot tide. That sounds yeah a lot easier. <laughs> That's I don't it, know if that's true or not, but I mean, it just pulling the boat at least. That's that's what it was like for us when we went down to Texas coast last year. It yeah. was just, you know, the tide did, because I was used to Charleston. That was the only red fishing experience I'd had was I'd really only fished maybe a flood tide a couple times Yeah, um, before I went down there. And then there it was just pretty constant. Yeah. There wasn't which much is, change. Which seems nice. I mean, it just seems yeah. like you can fish at least consistent. all the time, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, re- I remember like first time I went down there to Southern Texas and I was talking with some anglers down there and I was like, so like, when do you like usually go out? Like, cause like here you're, you're super specific when you need to go out. You like usually go out probably on dead low and tr- try to be out there looking around on dead low. Like and you're always trying to do something. Yeah, on like dead, there it's on probably like you go like when you can see the best, I guess. Yeah, you know? and so that that was the funny thing with those anglers. They were like, I was like, so do y'all usually like go out maybe on dead low or? And they're like, no, we just kind of go out like yeah, we just go fishing. Yeah. yeah, we just we don't really pay attention to that. Like tides are they're yeah. cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's all right. And like here, it's everything. Yeah, I feel yeah. Like. I mean, some days it's such a strong tide. Like if you have those days where it's like a seven foot tide and stuff, you really can't do much fishing other than dead high or dead low. Cause like, what are you going to do? Pull your 500 pound boat up against the, like literally ripping yeah. Creek right. out. Like it's like a, trying to pull up a, a up river stream. you trout yeah. fishing. Like yeah. it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And like once it takes a while to realize that even, I mean, I've done plenty of trips stepping on my dick out there where I'm just like trying to push up some creek like you know sometimes caught stuff and sometimes not but point is it's like you learn real quick when to use your energy efficiently and when to right sit at home yeah and chill and that's what one of the things i feel like that it takes with red fishing is really spending a lot of time out and like it's it's not even, i mean you can look into the tides and all that but you've got to spend time figuring it out being out just there just seeing what's happening yeah seeing what's like yeah. see how these fish are behaving over here let's see how they behave and kind of you're taking mental notes yeah, like the like most almost. the most you figure out with this with any red fishing i feel like is well i guess at least here with our big tide fluctuation is always going to be you're going most days you're not going to catch them you might figure out exactly where they like to be at that particular time on that tide cycle that day but you might not catch them because you ran them right over with the boat. But that next time it's like that, you'll remember. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I remember that one day it was like this and they were sitting right there. You I'm, know, I'm sure 
three hundred days on the water does does help you <laughs> with those taking little mental notes. And you'd think that, but they're <laughs> sneaky. Oh uh, yeah, I guess so. You've also spent a ton of time throughout this whole coast because I think one thing first time you and I fished, which was earlier this year, you pointed out was uh, I always thought, oh, you just go fly fish for reds and they're just in Charleston. And I thought, oh, they're just in Charleston. <laughs> My, right. you know, I was ignorant to the red fishing. Yeah, just saying but, there's so much area. Yeah, but like zooming out, when you look at it from a map, the whole coast all the way down to the Panhandle in, or Florida, it's all very similar country. Right. They, it probably fluctuates as you move up and down, but that whole coast is, fishable. is essentially <laughs> fishable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because if you look at it just from a map, it you know, it just looks like ocean and then land. But in between that, if you zoom in a little bit, there's a lot of that, you know, so I guess just tidal marsh area. What uh, have you learned from kind of exploring this whole region, just about the fishery and about redfish in general, fishing so much variety of yeah. water? I'd say the number one thing, if I could think of anything, is just that there's fish everywhere. Like it's so often with any type of fishing, fly fishing especially, it seems like you like get super focused in like on one type of water or like one type of spot or whatever it is. And like, I've just learned that especially here, there's so much water and it's, it's not like so defined with like creeks, you know what I mean? Like with other rivers and stuff with freshwater, you hear like, Oh, this river is good. And this river is good. And out here there's nothing has any names. So it's like, I found fish. I found fish even recently, like weeks ago that, I didn't even know we're there that I've ran past literally for like three years on my boat, like hauling butt. Just, you know what I mean? And it's just like, there's literally fish everywhere. And the, the key is you have to put in the work polling or mainly polling, you know, where you can use trolling motors and stuff like that too. But the point is, is like actually stealthy looking for fish. It's, it's amazing how much stuff there is out there that you'll just like, assume you'll be like drive past the creek a hundred times you're like oh, there's probably not fish in there yeah it's like have you actually spent an hour pulling up it because some it's a lot of work you know so i feel like that's like the biggest thing i've learned because there's so many places i can think of off the top of my head where it's like i drove past that spot for four years before i figured it out <laughs> right and it's right down the road or whatever yeah that's always cool to me Three so three hundred days on the water. What is the craziest thing you've ever seen? Like what's the craziest thing that's ever happened? I'm sure you have some sort of story. That's a lot of yeah, days. There's a lot of things. I'm trying to think if this should be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, of course, keep it PG and anything. Yeah, yeah. You can't tell on the camera. Don't don't tell us yeah no i honestly i'll just go with a crazy fishing story just for a classic one of just like okay. so how hard we try like you guys you fit we fished today and you know how like i mean we put our all into it at least i did i looked as hard as i could for what the conditions were yeah where we were like all that you know i feel like i i tried at least with what we were given in that area and it was tough and basically i'm saying is we tried our asses off and then this day, like last summer, I went out with a just a customer, and dude was terrible caster, 
And I don't mean that like in a negative, like degrading way. He just wasn't good at casting. Objectively, he was not. Yeah, good at he casting. was just he was just not good at casting. Like like, like me today. <laughs> no, not like you, bro. Like this guy, like you looked like a straight up professional compared to this dude. Like he'd probably never fly fish before. I don't even remember. But the point is, dudes up there were sight casting in a flood tide so it's like water's up in the grass and they're tailing good like you can see them like anyone like if you can have any kind of decent vision at all you can see a freaking tailing redfish it's hard not to miss those <laughs> things but um dude literally sees one in front of us like the boat is pointing forward and he sees it he starts false casting at it and he like it's a pretty big dude he weighs probably like 250 pounds like he's not small at all this is on my older boat too, the one that we used last year. And he fell backwards, like while he was in the middle of false casting. So he's like in his back false cast. And remember, he's fishing a fish that he sees in front of us. And he falls backwards on the back false cast into the cockpit of the boat like to the point where I'm like, like, are you okay? Like, I don't even care about the fishing anymore. I'm like, is this dude like physically okay? I don't know if he's hurt or not. And because he fell like literally into the boat like I didn't know if he hit his head or anything and he he's like getting up and he's like dude I'm on and I'm like what are you talking about and I like we just turned like this and looked behind me and the fly line's just like going around the boat like this <laughs> ripping. and like I've tried so hard to catch these stupid things so I'm just like what and I'm like dude you you're actually on like and this man hooked up on a flood tide redfish <laughs> falling backwards off the platform at not even at the one he saw like one that we didn't it, this was his back cast that like flailed out behind us oh, that's hilarious so it's what just like yeah, it's so funny, dude. dude I've, like? I've never had anything that lucky happen to me before, personally. <laughs> yeah, dude. So I should have got like, a lottery ticket after that. I was that. just like, what? Was he like, yeah, I was, that's the one I saw. <laughs> no, he, just, he like, was, circled around. We were like, dying <laughs> laughing about it, dude. It was so funny. I just feel like that's, that's a good crazy fishing wow. story for like just to go show how hard you can actually try to catch one. And then how hard it can why actually they, be sometimes. Why are they so smart but also so dumb at the same time? That's, like, what, that's today, the great thing. We had shot. We had so many good shots where they would they would see us either really quick or they would just not eat the fly. But then the one I caught was just a blind cast. And there's yeah. sometimes you'll they'll be two feet away from the boat and you just flip it over there. That, <laughs> that's the beauty of it, man. Like it's just sometimes so hard to understand why they're temperamental like that like you can go up in a in a spot some days and they're just literally jumping out of the water trying to fight each other over your fly and then other days where they're like sitting low and being all sneaky and just trying to you know sit where they feel like they're not going to be as visible and stuff and i mean i feel like a lot of it has to do with water temperature and just all the other general fishing conditions lighting and and all that stuff but other days you just like you're like what in the world <laughs> like these fish got smart yeah somehow like i don't know what happened where did these fish go to school i need to that's what really is though why, one of the reasons why i do that i love them just because it's like you yeah. can as soon as you really feel like you've got it figured out is right when oh, it'll throw you a curveball the best yeah, yeah. it's something to like first time i'm sure you get a ton of first timers there's some weird luck that goes on with first with first timers, like like what we were talking about that today, especially with ladies. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. 
My my guide buddies, trout buddies, they say the same thing. Same exact thing. Yeah. Dude, lady, look. I can't tell you how many times I've had some woman just outfish her husband or something and like we love to hear it, ladies. We love it's to hear all, it. It's awesome, yeah. really. Because a lot of a lot of times too, it's just because they're like really actually like listening and like trying to figure it out <laughs> instead of uh, instead of being like instead of being like I'm like, oh man, like you should cast over there by that oyster bed. And he's like, he looks pretty good over there by that tree. I'm gonna cast by that tree. <laughs> yeah, screw you. Dude. And, yeah, and I'm just like. All right, and the woman's like, "Where did you say to cast again?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Right over there." And she catches one. I'm like, "Heck yeah!" You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> Not always like that at all, but you know. Hold up, man! I've I've uh, caught a redfish before. So <laughs> I know you. You're actually I actually hired you to take my my guide <laughs> yeah. my wife. So. I brought all my flies, all my gear. Don't worry about me. So like, thank you for the suggestion but i'm not gonna take it so. i've had buddies tell me that exact same story where they're uh the wife and husband the wife story and husband, man. where I love those. the husband I comes love those the husband comes yeah you know what just just guide my wife today i really want her to catch some fish <laughs> i brought my own gear my own flies and they start fishing you know and they're not catching anything she and their girls just zoom, zoom, zoom. smoking them dude <laughs> i love that like hey you sure you don't want one of these flies that we're fishing no i'm good i'm good nah, yeah nah. i've had a couple of times where they like it actually got upset about it yeah and it's, those are the best oh that's so funny you can feel the tension sitting yeah. back there. i'm like i'm like this guy's definitely gonna call me again <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna go out solo next time <laughs> hey actually can we go back out tomorrow without my wife <laughs> Oh, she's sick. Yeah, she can't make it. <laughs> oh man, dude! But I think one of the <laughs> biggest differences between, or I guess between a freshwater fish, uh, or I said maybe a trout and a redfish is there's so much more water that redfish has to work with, and not just to fight with, but they can move in and out of the channels. You know, in you know they're in the main channel, they can go out to the ocean, they can come back in and go into the little creeks. And so, again, I think that's why it's like they're everywhere, and right. that plays a big role with, um, just I don't know how they, how they kind of travel and move. Yeah, for sure. I so mean, I, I guess are are they a species of fish that is very migratory, or do they kind of like to settle in to a zone, so to say? You know, they do both, man, and. <laughs> Again, that's like really is why I love redfish so much is just the diversity of the way that you can target them and where they go and stuff. Because depending on the water temperatures and time of year, like we have fish here where they may spend the summertime like out in this in the surf, like literally on the beach in the breaking waves in the surf. Whereas in the wintertime, they might be inshore on the main river, on the bank, on a flat or in a creek. And then you also have redfish, excuse me, where they, um, they'll raise up in a creek, you know, they'll raise up from puppies up till they're like 26, 27 inches, whatever the length may be. And then they'll migrate from there, that spot out to maybe with a school of bigger fish closer to the ocean or something like that. And then the even true bull reds that are the ones that are actually breeding and stuff out in the ocean, they're very migratory, you know, they're coming inshore for a short period of the year and then going back out in the ocean and traveling, you know, up and down the coast with the water temperature. So it's a cool thing, you know, you kind of get fish that move around a bit and then you get more residential fish that are kind of smaller, mm -hmm. 
growing up in creeks, you know, they might stay in there for two or three years, but eventually all the fish, you know, they're all moving at, at some point in time because uh, the, their, their, uh, their embryo, you know, when they come in is going to come into like a creek from the ocean, like where they were, where they were raised up and they'll grow up in there and then maybe eventually move themselves back out with another big school of fish out closer to the ocean or something. That's so wild. Like, so maybe I have this all switched around just on like the, the process, like the breeding process. Like they, they go and they, they, it's like an egg sac, right? That they, they lay out there like in the surf or something like that. Or like so, in, so in the, the big reds, like the big females essentially will get in big school. Like, I'm talking schools like you can see them out there if you go fishing offshore in like October and November we do a lot of fishing for big bull reds that are just kind of schooled up on reefs and stuff they'll go out literally just a few miles off the beach like you can literally see land for most of these spots but essentially schools of few hundred fish females will lay or let release their eggs essentially into the open water currents and there will be there's males out there too that are with them that are a yep. little bit smaller and they'll fertilize the eggs so the eggs actually get released and fertilized in the ocean and then from there we have naturally especially in the fall a lot of east wind currents coming from the south moving north like the gulf stream so all of those those fertilized eggs basically get pushed on shore that's insane yeah it's, it's crazy. crazy and that's been going on for thousands of thousands years. of that's years so i mean i can only like, imagine seeing what it used to look like out oh here God, i mean there dude. probably used to be freaking redfish literally everywhere like hundreds crap. of them just but. think yeah we were talking about this a little we hit on it a little bit today but just think about being a settler oh my gosh coming in here think about the creek today we saw where we had our fish camp that we like so much yeah. think oh. about that creek a few hundred years ago yeah i mean you wouldn't even be able to see the bottom because no. there's so many fish in there probably you know mm -hmm. what i mean and like there there's probably way more oysters too mm-hmm way 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 more i've seen all some that old harvesting. pictures yeah. and it's some of those oyster beds are crazy yeah i mean even from when i was younger to now like i can think of places where the oyster beds used to be where i was standing and they were like level with my eyeballs and now they're like two feet tall no just way. from wow you know harvesting That's and unreal. people hitting them and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, whatever but yeah i can't imagine i would that's if of all the things I talk about with the saltwater fishing, I would do anything to oh, yeah. kind of get a glimpse of what it was like before settlers. Yeah. Like yeah. that would be a cool thing mm -hmm. to to see yeah. wildlife wise, like anywhere really. Just yeah. pre colonization, the wildlife oh, in the United States was probably oh, yeah. gnarly. Yeah, we we say that about some of our rivers for especially smallmouth, like uh, smallmouth especially, like a species that's truly meant to be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would Trinity. love to see. Uh, the Tennessee River, like undammed, and just kind of what it looked like at normal level, because, Dude. I mean, gives you, go, you chills just thinking about. You go stuff around, like, that. Uh, like there's a lake, famous lake, bass fishing lake in Alabama called Gunnersville Lake. I don't know if you know much about mm -hmm. it. It's like it's very famous for like tournament Do big fishing, tournaments yeah, and stuff, yeah. But it has a ton of bluffs, and they go way, way deep. And even as you go up towards like Chattanooga, a ton of bluffs, you gotta, it, you, you have to think that that, that was just a huge gorge back in the day Yeah, and just rapids and I imagine bet, the prehistoric size smallmouth in there. <laughs> oh 
I mean, Gosh, seriously, I though, I've thought yeah. about that stuff a lot. Yeah. Probably be like redfish. No, I think about that kind of yeah. stuff almost every day when I'm fishing. I'm like in there, uh-huh. like spooking an ass of fish, and I'm like, gosh, I would kill to see like what they would behave like having never encountered anything that yeah. scares them, basically. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, not that's unnatural, essentially. Well, who knows if they would have been like cooperative, like, like what we're thinking, like never right. seen anyone. Or it could be the complete opposite, where there's so many that it actually is hard. Is yeah. it like affects their population? Right. You, you've seen a like a like a farm pond that's turned over, like that. All the bass are stunted because there's so many of them. Right. You can't have those big ones because the competition. There, yeah, the there's just no high. food, right? But I feel like the food population too, like the the bait population too, back a long time ago was just enormous. Yeah. I mean, even so now, too, even it. now, too, I'm always surprised of how many fish these, you know, you mean a creek that's literally five feet wide and see like a hundred fish in it. So you're like, yeah. you know, you're like, at least I don't know, but I make the assumption. I'm like, wow, there must be a lot of something in here. I would have been okay with a couple less mullet today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, mullet extermination squad is in full <laughs> effect. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I would love that, but. Make your job a lot easier. They, they definitely like to eat the shrimp more than the mullet. I don't. Yeah. Th- the mullet just make them pissy. They just, the mullet just fly into their hole and say, "Hey, there's a boat coming! Get the fuck out of here!" Yeah, that's what it seems like, dude. They just I go really, speak your hole. I'm like in a love hate relationship with mullet too, because like I love them. I've, yeah, they're part of weird. Yeah, they're like yeah. part of it, dude. It's like a such a. I don't even know what the right word is for it. It's a novelty fish. <laughs> it is really cool though being out there today. And every time I've been to the to do red fishing or to go red fishing, um, I don't know. There's there's a there's it's much different than say going to a remote mountain stream. Like you still feel so out there and you and so in the wild, but it's so different. You know, and, and but it's so cool when you're out there and you see all the bait. There's so much going on. You can just listen to the noises. There's not a constant current. It's quiet, and then maybe you hear a a tail, or maybe you hear some fish blow up, or maybe you hear you know crab jumping into the water or something. But I feel like there's so it's so wild when you're out there, and you're so freaking locked in the whole time when you're out there. Like today was the most I feel like the most present I've been in a while. Just being so zoned in on the fishing and just the, you know, the whole experience. Yeah, and I agree, so too. Cool. That's one of the reasons, like, when people ask me about just w- what I do in fishing in general, I think that's one of the most drawing things to anglers and just people in general wanting to spend time on the water is that that aspect of it, especially with the nature of the fishing. It's like if you're not locked in, like you're talking about, like you're definitely not going to catch anything. Right. You know what I mean? You have to be ready to capitalize on the quickest, shortest opportunity. You know, that can make or break a good day. With the with the nature of this fishing, you know, you're not catching a lot of fish, usually. Like, there's definitely days where you might catch 20 fish, but it's mm-hmm. like once or twice a year, you know, when you really get it on a proper timing like that. So it's, you know, being ready to capitalize on every single little chance that you're given, which... Which makes it fun, because even when it's tough fishing, like, you're in it, you know what I mean? You're there and ready and paying attention to what's going on. And I like that. I like that about it, too. It's just, 
keeps it interesting even when it's not necessarily great fishing you're you're gonna be ready for if you see that because all it takes is one freaking 30 inch fish or whatever Mm -hmm. and it turns a tough day into like you know sometimes those that one fish is more special than the day when you caught 20 when it was easier you know the grind is sometimes kind of like the cool part i feel like uh it also is so much of a hunting game opposed to just fishing you're not drifting and you know just letting your flies kind of drift through the river the whole day and so i feel like part of it kind of brings out a almost a ancestral or kind of human nature aspect of you, you know, cause like our ancestors were hunters and gatherers. Right. And so you're almost that hunting aspect of you from your ancestor or whatever. I feel like it brings that out. Cause you're just, you only have that one shot for sure. Potentially to, yeah. to cast at the fish. And if you blow it, it's like, shoot, there's my shot. Yeah. There's nothing exactly. you can do. It's like, no bow, you can blame it's like bow yourself. hunting or something. Like yeah. if you miss you're you're screwed, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was your shot. Don't eat for the day. Right. I yeah. re- I relate it to bow hunting a lot. Like, I mean, sometimes the fish are dumber and you can get other shots and stuff, but it's like a lot of times just straight up. It's like that. Yeah. If you miss, it's like that was that opportunity. Now look on for the next one. Mm-hmm. We do say that a lot. Like fly fishing is the equivalent of bow hunting. Right. To, to uh, I guess, a uh, rifle. Right. You know. And that, and that hunting aspect of the red fishing too, I mean, it makes you better not only just as an angler and a hunter but just with everything about that i mean you're you know it's it it involves all of your senses really so it's when you're fishing like that it truly does it is hunting you know what i mean there's literally nothing different about it at all like it's like the and seek it's yeah it's it's everything about it like i don't know if either of y'all have ever been like turkey hunting or something but i think it's like extremely similar to red fishing because of their Because of their visual acuity and their their so, turkeys are so smart. I mean, yeah, I, feel, yeah. I really feel like redfish and turkeys have a lot in common. Sometimes <laughs> they could be friends. In they another could, life. dude. They would be yeah. they would be boys. Actually, <laughs> they would be boys. Something I, w- I was gonna ask is, if I was a total newbie and I was wanting to catch a redfish, where do I start? Man, the the f- number one thing Google Earth isn't. I I can tell you is I feel like the best thing to tell someone who's never done it before when I had never caught a redfish on on fly especially in my life like just catching a redfish is one thing but like for fly fishing for them you know you got to get a little crafty because you're not gonna just it's not like you're pulling off highway 17 savannah highway and like that flat's gonna be good you got to find somewhere usually there's some kind of like private neighborhood or like something tough to get to like when i just first started red fishing i remember i went and looked on google earth and i just found it was some neighborhood in charleston i don't even remember what it was called or whatever but it was just it looked it was super private but i figured out that i could like park like near the entrance and i like rode my skateboard back there you're or some of the locals yeah you know <laughs> what i mean I, it's, it's you're pretty invincible when you're like 17 <laughs> don't tell anyone that but yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, you ride back in there on your freaking skateboard into, you know, where it looks good on Google Earth and start wading the flats. The flood tides are a great opportunity for, you know, novice anglers that are younger, might not have boats too, just because there are areas that are wadeable. 
although might not be the, like the best flat in the world, like you can actually get there on foot, which yeah. is saying something. I feel like a lot of people don't know that they can't. They see the 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 push pole, they see the the skiffs with the pulling platform. Think on it's them, impossible, but they don't. They don't think they can. They can go out there and wade, fly fish and wade. Like the spin fishermen, I guess, have figured out. Right. You see a lot of them waiting, but like, yeah. but like, a lot of people I feel like don't know you can wade and and fly fish. Yeah, and yeah. and with the spin fishing too, though, because I see the same thing with those guys too, where they're like, think that you have to have freaking million dollar boat or whatever. You know what I mean? And like, the reality of it is, you just have to get a little crafty with it, because it's never gonna be like you Google. You know what I mean? Where to fly yeah. fish for uh, redfish and redfish.com. Yeah, you know what I oh, mean. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's just, it's never going to be the easiest thing in the world. You just got to get a little bit, think outside the box of where you're going to actually access where you're going to fish, whether you be a kayak or a boat or anything. You just have to be like, where is like literally the hardest place basically for other people to get to? And I mean, that goes for any kind of hunting from what I've figured out from what I've done, but it's just, you know, one of those things where you have to get a little bit resourceful and do it yourself. Yeah. That's, that's what we, we talk about that all the time. I feel like just getting on Google maps or even just going out and just, yeah, just, just trying trying. to find it yourself, find, find somewhere to fish yourself. You know, I feel like that's just. There's so many people that want it handed to them on a silver yeah. platter, but you just got to do some research. And Well, I think it's easy to, a lot of times you're waiting for someone to, you know, take you. It's like, oh, I really want to go bone fishing. And you're right. waiting for someone to just give you, you that go, invite. <laughs> go bone yeah. fishing or here's this trip out of thin air. And so I think, yeah, that's one of the things is if you want to go do something, you know, freaking go figure out how to do it. And so I guess, you know, obviously, you know, it, it's say easy for someone like you to say who has uh a lot of experience right for example redfish and all that um but where where do you want to look like are you looking for you know when you're on google google earth for example right um what are you looking for as in terms of water for you know someone to go maybe wade fish a flat or maybe go wade fish somewhere that's accessible what kind of stuff are you looking for um when you're kind of on the computer doing your research it's a lot of areas where it's one you're going to look for where it's pretty hard bottom where you can step in you know without sinking up to your Mm -hmm. legs or whatever we have a lot of pluff mud and just thick you know soft mud around here so when you look on the satellite imagery you can see areas that have harder bottom usually are indicated by like a little bit of a lighter color in the marsh like a, usually like a lighter gray is going to indicate you know, like a sandy, more clay-based bottom where you can really actually stand up in. And I mean, that. not all the places like that are going to have fish, but those are the areas where you're actually going to be able to walk. So for the wade fishing, you know, a lot of it is going to be just covering ground in those areas where you actually can walk because there's right. so much area for wading where it's like, you may see a fish right over there, but it's like literally through super thick mud and crossing a creek like while swimming, mm-hmm. something like that. So a lot of it I've found is just getting in areas where you know the bottom is actually hard and weightable and shallow and 
you know, waiting it out. A lot of the the waiting that I, well that I've done. I mean, I figured out if you move around too much, all you're really doing is scaring everything. Like the best wade fishing I've ever had sometimes is just standing in one spot for an extended period of time, like where your knees are getting tired and you're like really want to move, but you're like it's like deer hunting almost. You're like just have to sit still in one place, wait and, for something to move, yeah, in. and wait for something to show itself to you. As opposed to, you know what I mean, give yourself away. I've done that um, on a flood tide before in, in a boat, but, you know, kind of get into a spot, and I remember whoever I was with, like, all right, guys, we're just going to, you know, kind of give a sec and let... This is a chill spot. You know, we're just going to chill here for a sec and just see, see what happens. And it's crazy, you, you know, you're waiting and waiting, and again, it kind of goes back to that hunting aspect, just being patient and letting kind of the fish do its let thing. Let them do their thing. They yeah. come in. You know, there's a tail, and they're in your zone. So yeah, I feel like the wade, the wade missions maybe a little more stealthy in terms of, or maybe you have to have a little more patience because you can't just move around a bunch. Yeah, you can't. You know, I've done that so many times where you just move around so much that, you know, you might see one fish, but then at the end of the night, you're like, man, if I had just sat in the same spot the whole time, like. Like, you might have even heard one, like, further back in there and stuff. You just feel, you figure it out, you know, just by doing it. You see how much wake you're actually making moving around. Because it doesn't seem like much when it's this much water. But when you see how far your little ripples carry from your foot stepping in the water and it goes, like, 100 feet away from you, you're like, good golly. Yeah. I need to just hold it back a little bit, you know. And it's the same thing on the boats, too. You've really you know, neglect sometimes to notice how much vibration carries in water. It's significantly more than in air for yeah. sure. Yeah. You were really careful today with, with the pole. I feel like, uh, especially going over the oysters and you were, you were pretty careful not to stab that, the end of that pole down on like some oysters. I, I noticed. Yeah. Too hard. I mean, yeah. And, and it's, and even then when I'm really trying like being um, conscientious of it, I just, even then it's difficult, you know, to yeah. not make that noise. So yeah, you've got to be conscious of that pole and, or whatever you're doing, waiting, whatever the, your method of travel through the marsh is. It's definitely a stealth game. I feel like that's probably one of the, when I have new customers on the boat, regardless of it's fly fishing, spin fishing or whatever we're doing. Um, that's like the first thing I'm saying. We, when I slow down and we're pulling in the first creek or spot or whatever, I'm like, all right, guys, the first thing y'all need to know about red fishing is stealth. Like mm. that's, that's the name of the game. So yeah. like the very first thing I'm telling people is like, watch your feet moving around. Just like, basically I'm like, don't move. <laughs> yeah. And we'll catch them. It's a lot different than my boat. Yeah, man, you, man, the hog, you just baby. sent it over. <laughs> grinding the oyster beds just oh. just like stabbing the push bolts. yeah i mean we were so loud shifting everywhere and just ripples going dude well sometimes it, that's what it takes to get in the spot and figure it out though too at the same time like i was going on about earlier in the podcast just a lot of times you spend days out there you might figure out where the fish are scraping and grinding over the right. oysters up into there you didn't catch them but yeah you know next time <laughs> i think that was such a frustrating trip for both of us the texas trip um it looked like a grind i was, watched it was the, really, i watched the video I was, yeah like but that's what it's about though but no like the, in the moment it was a really a grind and it was frustrating yeah. and you know we were both i mean we, 
we'd gone on a couple guided trips, but that was our first trip going yeah. by ourselves. And you look back on it, you're like, yeah, that was so badass. Looking back, we're like, that's so sick. We we just suffered through that, and we learned so much about yeah, you know, redfish and just the area. I, the main thing I learned what not was, to do was to retire my boat from the coast <laughs> yeah. and just find some friends that have some skips because <laughs> my boat's a kite. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I feel that. I feel that. Sometimes you can just use a lot more energy than necessary to uh, look where you're trying to look. Yeah, that yeah, it's uh, it's almost like working, you know, smarter, not harder. Right. So I feel like a lot of times today I noticed, you know, you were taking really long, slow pulls or pulls. I don't know what you call, it, but uh, through instead of a bunch of micro adjustments. You know, right. you're obviously making micro adjustments as you're pulling. Yeah, when necessary, but you know? a lot of it's just. But instead of oh, got to pull it out put it back in it was uh it was very almost seamless like i didn't even notice that we were being pulled i just felt like we were gliding you know right yeah you're just trying to like be with the environment instead of against it i guess for lack of a better way to describe it you have to kind of just work with everything that's you you know you get out there and you know this one creek's facing into the wind and the current's going out and the sun's in your face and it's like all this shit it's like you're not going to catch them in there. Like, you know what I mean? You got to like try to sometimes, even if the one spot doesn't seem like it's going to be as good as the other, but the lights behind you and the currents going with you. And you know what I mean? Just like everything makes sense there. Sometimes it's not even as many fish or as good in there, but you, that's better fishing because it's just working. That's another thing I've, I've learned so much is just, you have to work with, the, with mother nature and not against it mm-hmm. yeah i don't know it seems, it'll let you know it seems like one of those like things that's just super obvious but it's you <laughs> know i've spent so many days out there doing shit that was like i was like yeah we might have caught fish but i was like working so so hard when i like probably could have done something a little bit more you know mm-hmm. if it just made sense as far as your energy and stuff goes you are pushing a boat after all a lot of times with the saltwater stuff so yeah. right would you say that's also for a newbie that like that wants to really get in the redfish scene learning to pull can get you on a lot of boats i feel like here yeah yeah for sure i mean just, be, just being able to being able to pull I mean, being able to cast is one thing, but like if you can pull someone else who already has it, because if someone has a flats boat, they can probably cast a fly rod most yeah. of the time or any kind of fish, rod. They probably, probably want to fish. Pulling. Yeah, like me. Like I would love for someone to come pull my ass around. But yeah, it's the same same situation. If you can get that skill acquired, you can find yourself yeah. on the bow a lot more often yeah. or same, just on boat with friends. Yeah, it's the same with rowing. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. Like, see, if you got put me behind some oars, I would literally be like pulling for the first time. It's, it's so hard. It's different, yeah. Yeah, you'd pick it up. Everyone has to go through it, though. Everyone has right. to struggle with it first before it gets better. But yeah, like I, I got some buddies that because uh, it's such a technique thing. It's such a technique thing too. Because, like, as y'all know, you don't have to be strong to row. I'm guessing, or to pull a skiff. But you do have to know how to do it properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the technique. Or, you know, and you pretty much figure it out by not knowing how to do it. And you probably don't <laughs> even think anymore. It's probably just second nature at this point. 
Right, right. I don't, I mean. You're not like, okay, I'm going to push so it's going to turn this way. You're I mean, there's certain times where I'm like, oh, I'm about to hit that oyster bed real good. Oh, yeah. You know, where I'm yeah, like, yeah. I know what I'm thinking about it like that. But most of the time, it's just you're Dude, just I just trying not to hit anything. I, I yeah. hate that we have to learn that way. Just like struggle <laughs> with something. Oh, you should show the viewers the bottom of my skiff out there. They'll really not <laughs> want to go buy anything fancy. <laughs> yeah, dude, Stick- you're saying some people down here who have these just... Ninety hundred thousand dollar boats. Yeah, like they flats do, boats. Yeah, like they don't go fishing anywhere good. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that you were talking about was really interesting earlier about having a boat that is it's reasonably you know it's it's a good boat. It's a good boat, but it's not. It, and it's one that you can take kind of uh, into some maybe some iffy spots. Yeah, it's like a work boat. Yeah, I like relate it to like it's like a white Ford F one fifty where it's like. I can slam my shopping cart into it at Bilo and be like, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, that's what you want. Yeah. Really. Like to learn. Saying, like, maybe once you've been, you're like 50 years old and you've, you know, you're pulling in your retirement or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Buy the freaking $90,000 flats. But, but like, when you're figuring it out, like, you want yeah. something you can throw against the wall and like, like, literally like laugh at it. That's what, like, yeah. that's actually what you want. You don't want to care at all. Because that's how you'll figure out the most, I think. And you're able to access, I think, a lot of water that you wouldn't go to otherwise. Yeah, like you, if you don't have, have to be scared. Boat. Yeah, you don't have to be scared of wrecking your boat, which will get you into. Like, I can't say enough about how many places that will get you into. Because yeah. there's so many places where my boat has earned scars. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> where it's yeah. just like could have probably been in a John boat there, but figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Just took off some gel coat on there. Yeah. And yeah. The other one, like, but I love it. it. That in the same reason, I love going on that boat because I can do that. Yeah. Versus when I'm on my newer skiff, I'm like really freaking out a little bit. Like, not like bad, but you know what I mean? You're like, oh, that one hurt a little bit. Yeah. Whereas my old boat, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Feels right. <laughs> Feels right. Just another one on the. On it's the a weird board. mentality, but yeah. that boat's caught a lot of fish, more than the new one. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of I I want to get like a new motor on my boat or an, uh, a used motor on my boat. Yeah, dude. Uh, because of, those, of that. Yeah, because get one of those old Yamaha two strokes, bro, and just yeah. dogger hard. Yeah, That's if there's any jets sometimes. out there, I'd, I yeah. would love to buy one. <laughs> if anyone, hit us up. If anyone hit has Brian one, up. Shout out to be our pet. <laughs> yeah, hit me up. It's been a long process. Tohatsu, preferably. Yeah. So you have obviously. A lot of this area kind of dialed, or you just at least understand the you area. Like to think that, yeah, you know, you know a lot of the spots, right? And you just know a lot of places to fish. Like today, this morning we left, and you're like, I don't even know where we're gonna fish yet. There's freaking four spots we could go to. So what? But what did it look like before you knew all that? How are you exploring? How are you kind of going out and figuring out and exploring and finding new water? Um, and then to, it kind of got you to this point. Yeah, I mean, again, like I mentioned before, too, it's a lot of just just putting in the time because there's really is no, like, rhyme or reason to, like, where the fish habitat is the best and stuff. Like, I mean, even from Google Earth and stuff, a lot of the creeks look great. Like, I mean, it's just the creek in the middle of nowhere that winds up into the marsh, you know what I mean? It looks fishy as heck. But a lot of times you just have just spending the 30 minutes or whatever it takes to pull up at it high tide or low tide or whatever just look you know is 
probably the biggest thing because there's so many places like i mentioned that you go by for just ages you know that might be literally visible from the boat landing and you just assume you know there can't be fish there because it's right here but in reality you know sometimes some of the best spots are right close to home after all people have been fishing around here for a lot longer than we've been around too you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it's not like this is you know the first time people have been doing it i've just always thought about it like that it's just just putting in the time to cover water really and just finding do you typically look on google earth let's say for example and you find some spots you may be in a new area that you want to go check out and then you find a boat launch you they can get you to that spot right and then do you you know okay i've got these spots mapped i'm gonna go check these out today just see what's going on and pop out there and then and then from there are you just kind of free for all yeah i mean that's pretty much how i go about it like with google earth like you know you've got if you really get crafty with it you can use google earth pro and you know go filter through images that have lower tide imagery and stuff like that you know you can get real geeky with it depending on that but regardless you can only learn so much like i spend a lot of time on google earth like to my my own demise sometimes where it's like i can only spend you can only learn so much just sitting here staring at it on your on the computer screen so a lot of it is just you get on there be like this is the area i'm gonna go mark four or five spots and then you know try to go out there and check those places like you set your goals of like all right i'm gonna try these spots and like if it doesn't work out like you know what i mean you try something else but whatever some days you just go out and figure out whether fish aren't is almost just as good as figuring out where they are for me because i just know i never have to go there again and spend that amount of time pulling that creek and sometimes you know you do have places where there might be fish in august but there's not fish in january or whatever so you know it comes back on you in that way too it's just a lot of freaking pulling (laughs) what it really comes do down you, to do you keep a fish journal at all i do i don't keep like a written fish journal but i keep like notes in my phone where it's just like super important stuff you know what i mean it's not like i'm sitting there writing down every single day stuff but when it's something that i figured out that i figured it was really noteworthy particularly places where it's like a fish the fish were only there a few weeks out of the year you know i'll like try to note stuff that down in my phone and put it you know even on google earth you can save pins and stuff i'll save a pin on google earth and you can name them and edit the name be like freaking january fishing whatever but yeah that's cool same type of deal because we've talked about that before he knows a bunch brian knows a bunch of the conventional guys that have kept journals and just have so many notes from years and years of fishing yeah which is amazing i mean i would love to do that really it's Mm -hmm. just the the, putting that time extra time into it you know it's the extra you get out really Mm -hmm. the way i look at it i've just never done that but i mean just trying to remember every little thing is tough too so it's like that definitely could be helpful and something i'd recommend to people really yeah because i keep a journal it's not super consistent but just for my personal self and, you know, just a lot of times I think it's just a place to get things out of my head. So if I'm thinking or I have an idea or something, you know, I'll just, oh, let me write this down. Thought about this. This is what I'm thinking, blah, blah, or, you know, whatever. So I feel like having something that you could keep up with doesn't have to be super consistent, but you could at least think, oh, you know, today we 
you know, caught a fish on, on this fly and, you know, the tide was at this and it was just, it was a really weird day, but this happened to this match is what works. This, yeah. like, I found these consistencies throughout the day. And so maybe it's something you pick up and you write and jot down. Right. I don't know. I feel like that's, that kind of stuff's super helpful. If you're, if you're really trying to get, you know, figure out patterns. Yeah. And, and be and seriously and about, serious it about it and being, especially being newer, whatever you're trying to figure out. I mean, that's the way to go really. If you think about it. I've just done it so much that like eventually you like kind of start to remember almost not even by memory. It's like more you've just been out there so much. You're like you feel it. You know what I mean? You're like, I remember that one day that was exactly like this. And you just remember what you did. And like and that a lot of that time is just you screwed up 20 other times before that. But eventually you figured out just can't time on the water is the one thing that you can never have any replacement for no matter what catching fish or not catching fish no matter what happens you yeah. always learn when you're out there i feel like it is uh maybe it's cheesy but i feel like fly fishing there's it's such a there's such a feeling to it you know in different different aspects of it different types of fish you fish for there's such a it's not just that you're fishing like there's something that you're actually feeling when you're out there right, right. Fishing, you're like Oh my god this is so sick i'm in this in the moment or whatever yeah you have um, to be one with the environment and try to like match that yeah you you know what i mean you're trying to trick an animal into eating something that's not real so it's got to be you know pretty dialed in for a little you know at least to some extent yeah a lot of times how so how do you uh stay like how is your navigation out there because i sometimes when we're pulling through there after a while i'm so lost i'm like where the heck are we we're so turned around we've gone through twists and turns how are you able to maintain like an idea of where we are or where you are to get back to the main channel when there's so many different stems and all that and just to get back like to know your navigation around the whole area yeah a lot of that comes from like I mean, you get it. You eventually get a sense of direction from just spending time out in any any area. But a lot of it, you spend time looking at maps, you know, and you really kind of almost anywhere I'm at, like I'm picturing it from that aerial perspective. Like I'm, whether it be satellite imagery or an actual just map, you know, like picturing things always from that type of perspective from above, you know, with a north, south, east, west orientation. I feel like if you just always try to kind of think about your environment like that, you know, you kind of end up at least knowing where, which direction you came from. You know, I mean, I know that sounds stupid and simple, but you can't overestimate just the simplicity of it, really. So many times, I mean, I've gotten lost out there and stuff, and it's like, especially when I was first learning just boating in general when I was younger out on John boats and stuff. And you just you figure out real quick, but if you if you're looking at maps all the time, you eventually like you start to visualize your environment from that perspective, which is helpful. Yeah, we're almost we're almost so reliant on the GPS now that I feel like sometimes, you know, our uh, navigational skills kind of go out the window. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're not sure. thinking about north, south, east, west. You're just oh, what is Google Google Maps going to tell me? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like you don't, you almost want to like, you want to study Google Maps 
You know what I mean? When you're looking at that stuff to try to actually understand it versus pulling it out when you want to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like you, when I'm looking at that stuff, I'm trying to actually visualize and paint a picture in my own head versus, so I don't have to pull out the phone when I'm out there on the boat, which sometimes you still have to do just because it's a new area, especially or something like that. But a lot of it is just, you know, trying to get crafty with it. Mm -hmm. It's just so easy. I feel like to get turned around because everything kind of looks the same. Yeah. Especially when you're pushed deep in the marsh Mm -hmm. and you can't actually see where that real ocean is. Or the big, o- I don't even, yeah. Yeah, but, I've had times you know. where I've literally gotten so deep in the marsh and the tide's dropping so fast. And, like, you know where the entrance you came in was, but it's, like, a quarter mile somewhere over that direction. Yeah. And there's, like, reeds everywhere. And, like, you know, I mean, you can get, I've I've never gotten stuck at, like, a high out, I've gotten stuck in a boat before with tides for sure. Like, the worst is getting stuck at, like, a high tide when it's falling because that's when you would be stuck for, like, a really long time. But, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I go out there all the time, and, like, there's been a few times where even when I really know exactly where I am and where I need to go, you can get caught up. So it's it's a hazardous environment, but that's probably what makes it good for fishing. So if you're new, maps is number one. Maps, bro. And then... Polling, I guess second, maybe. What do, you, what do you? I'd say maps and time on the water. Really, okay. Just even if it's not, even if you're not fishing, I feel like just driving out, checking out a spot. Maybe, maybe you go wait in there with your rod, but maybe you don't see anything. All right, check right. that one off the map. Go to the next spot, or maybe there's a better access point that you find while you're out there. Because I found that in my college days, just driving around, you know, Boone in that area, just I'll have a bunch of places to kind of mapped out that I want to check out. And I was fortunate to be in that area, you know, close enough proximity to go check out those spots. But you just go drive and check it out. Oh, looks pretty good. Or, oh, that's a lot smaller than I thought. Right. I don't think that's going to be worth it. But what sort of gear do you think someone needs? Because I feel like it's intimidating looking at the saltwater stuff a lot of times because you think you have to go reinvent the wheel sometimes. Cause, yeah. I don't know. With with gear, especially your, right. your fly rod and all that. Yeah, and people feel like they have to go get the, you know, mainstream, super nicest stuff and all that. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, because, I mean, you said even you'll bring a five weight out sometimes, right? Right, yeah. So someone who might be fishing North Carolina, they could come down here. With their five with weight. their five weight. Yeah. I mean, we're, they like essentially. Like if you're fishing, like, in Mount Pleasant or something where the fish are they're spooky like they've it's not their first time seeing a fly or something like any fish out in the charleston wando area or something so it's like sometimes that's your advantage you know your your step up above the fish i don't always like fish a five weight or something like that but if i know i'm gonna fish some fish that are like super super edgy all the time you know what i mean trying to do something to give yourself a little bit of an advantage so you think you think like uh, I don't know, six to eight weight. Yeah, that's that's like the prime, prime setup. Like six to eight weight. You know, I feel like a five is really a little light. You yeah. know, for most applications, unless you really know like that exactly where you're fishing or whatever. But mm-hmm. six to eight is the move. You know, and adjusting the fly, the the weight of the fly is probably more important than the weight of the rod. 
even so like you can fish super spooky fish on an eight weight with a really light leader and fly mm-hmm. and and like you were going on too, just going on about the accessibility and your wade fishing like where you've fished up in boone it's probably you know relatively similar i know you have lots of private water yep. and that's been an issue you know up in your area for accessibility for fishermen you know conventional and fly anglers so it's the same thing down here though and one thing i always tell people and i know and it might sound bad from certain people's perspective but like even when stuff is super private and like it seems iffy to fish it like don't be afraid to just like literally go ask someone don't be like think that just because it's like private and there's houses there blah 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 that you can't you can't fish it and just write it off because there's been multiple times in my life in North Carolina and down here where it's just like super private area you know the fishing's probably good because it's like super hard to get there like if you don't live there or whatever it's like how are you gonna fish it but sometimes all it takes is dudes checking his mailbox or whatever and you're like hey man like I was thinking about fly fishing back here like you know what I mean what do you think like don't be like is that cool yeah don't just like walk back there and just like start doing it but just be like talk to someone and a lot of times you know that guy he might not even fly fish and he'll be like oh my gosh I can see 30 tailors from my freaking top deck or what and he's like it's right over there yeah and you're like word cool and I mean I've seen that stuff happen so many times where it's just like a lot of times those best areas to fish like especially for you know people that don't have boats and they're looking to wait is where it's private neighborhoods and stuff so i always tell people just don't be afraid of the private areas just talk to people and you might not have to you might have to talk to multiple people sometimes there's one guy that's like heck no like it's not about it but the dude three 300 feet that way is just like cool as heck yeah and really all you need is one person to tell you it's cool to fish somewhere far as i'm concerned you know what i mean because it's kind of all ties together like that they know they can always i mean they can say no and that's the worst yeah you're like happen. well i talked uh, yeah exactly exactly with especially with the asking part it's of like it. going up to a girl at the bar <laughs> <laughs> it's so true <laughs> don't hurt to ask yeah it's not hard to ask versus what versus uh just going in there after it just Trying to get, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't even want to know about that part. <laughs> Brian's bar bar stories <laughs> new podcast coming soon. Please <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> so you grew up in Charleston, right? Yeah, From, or or just south of Charleston. Okay. Do you think, uh, kind of growing up around this area, uh, just being around the water and fishing, do you think that's kind of helped your uh, just overall? fishing and understanding of this this region or i mean how much fishing did you do as a kid like yeah i mean i was gonna say like kind of but in a way you know it just takes your your real interest in it to give you that motivation and drive to figure it out so i mean when i was younger i used to go kayaking you know it was one of my favorite things to do when i was like freaking 10 years old or whatever and i remember times where i would like be in some creek kayaking and running over all these huge fish and being like huh that's kind of cool like I don't even, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't even know what those are. <laughs> yeah. And then like literally years later as a fishing guy, and I'm like remembering the exact place that I went kayaking when I was like 10 and I'm like, I've got to go back there. Yeah, dude, I love that. There's something cool about that 
like naivety, I mean, right. sort of of yeah. being a kid, and you just you don't even know what the fish is. No, you're just yeah. whatever. Oh, that's so cool. that I was just saying that to describe like how, I mean, it helped me in a way, like figuring out stuff when I was younger. But at the same time, I didn't even think about it when right. I was that age because it was just there. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like a resource to me yet where like you could actually do something with it for lack of a better way to describe it. Yeah. You weren't thinking it as it as strategically as you probably are now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can think of multiple places where I used to like kayak and just run over redfish and had zero clue that they were even redfish. Like no idea what they were. They're just huge. Yeah. (laughs) My family had a little house on Edisto Island when I was younger. So we'd go down there for like vacation and that was kind of my first introductory to this area in general, too. Was j- or at least the real saltwater kind of creek kayaking and just being a free young boy. <laughs> yeah, dude. Living your life, baby. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that opened my eyes a little bit when we fished earlier this year was I'd only fished really right in Charleston. But you talked about it's the same thing we preach all the time is just getting away from people. And just traveling a little bit further up and down the coast, you know, to to find water that's maybe a little more untouched. And uh, I feel like that's such a that's especially important here for the redfish. Like when we were in January, I mean, it was like those fish were happy fish. Yeah, that was really good day fishing. Yeah. And that I mean, that was later in the winter than today. You mm-hmm. know, so it just goes show sometimes, you know, one, the fish are very behavioral based, like they're going to act and behave certain ways in certain conditions but two that just you know getting a little we went a little further away too yeah you know so it just just depends on so many different factors like that but i always i mentioned to you earlier today too when you're going on like google earth or something and if you zoom way out like from where you're trying to fish too this sounds super simple and like dumb but like when i always used to look at it it's like where is there the most green and not a shit ton of city like if you look at that satellite image way zoomed out you mean you can almost pick out the best places to fish from freaking so high up like looking at that you know what i mean because it's just like where is literally the farthest place from where anyone lives so it's just, I've always thought about it like that with any kind of fishing or hunting. It's like most people aren't going to go that extra little bit to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And then you're rewarded a lot of times. Right. And a lot of times too, those spots stay good too. Cause even if someone figures it out, you know, that it's something special. It's like far enough away too, where you're not going to, it's like I could go there every weekend and right. bust them up. It's something special. That is part of it, too. I remember you mentioning there's certain areas that you, you might fish, and then you're just going to give it a break for a little bit. You know, right. Maybe you whack a bunch of fish in there. You know what? I'm not going to fish that for a couple of weeks or a couple of days or whatever. Yeah, which be. is tough, too. Very tough. Like, for me, guiding especially, some days I might have a customer, and we just absolutely whack them in one spot where, like, I hadn't been there in, like, a year, and I go in there, and it's, like, it's, like, so good that you're, like, all right, like, if I want this to stay like this, I need to leave. You know what I yeah. mean? You can pretty much tell that pretty quickly. Yeah. You catch a few, and you're like, they're not even spooking. Like, they're just sitting here, like, being really dumb. So there's, I mean, there's those times happen where you just, like, have to kind of 
you find out the best fishing spot in the world, it's definitely not exactly the best thing to call all your buddies and pack the cooler and load up the short bus and go freaking on a fishing trip. <laughs> no, I'm just spot busting burning. your balls about that. But, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean. It's like sometimes the best yeah. spots are that way for the yeah. darn good reason. Yeah, they're special to you, you know. Right. But anything, yeah. I mean, it just seems like more low-key it is. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of takes though you ruining like a like, it does like a spot to to realize how precious for sure it is. and I'll yeah. be the first one to like yeah. go on and admit that like I've figured that information out specifically from figuring out a great spot of my own that I can yeah. put like where yeah. I, when I got there I was like you you usually can tell when fish have never seen people like if when you hook one the other ones try to eat the fly out of that one's mouth. Like yeah. Where if the fly's hanging out of the fish's mouth, you can actually see the fish trying to grab yeah. that fish's fly, like that he's already eaten. That's when you're like pretty sure that they're like really dumb at least. Yeah. And like when I find them like that, you're like, okay, this is this is good. Like I need to, yeah, you know, catch a few and then just mm-hmm. give them a break for a while. You've mm-hmm. taken. And I, like, but I've had those spots yeah. too, though, like uh, getting at where I, you know, fished them really hard, like where I was like, this is so good. And then just went back there a bunch of times. And then yeah. it's like before you know it sometimes even that you'll like have that spot that was amazing. And like then to where you cannot catch a fish there, no matter how hard you try. And they might still be there. There can be a hundred fish in a spot and you not be able to catch them. Like just when they get, they figure out exactly Cause it's a very consistent way like that we have to fish them a lot of times approach wise and, and all that. So it's, yeah, it's like, Hey, whenever these mullet come screaming past me, I'm going to kind of be on edge here right? And, and start looking around for someone, you know, casting at me or I don't know, trying to, right. st- trying to pull a fast one on me. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. At least. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing every time. I mean, it's 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 no wonder we we like. Uh, I mean, you you would think they would catch on even more, right? <laughs> like, it is probably the same exact thing every time in some of these spots. Yeah, a lot of it, like I I mentioned with like how quiet my boat is and stuff too. It comes down to a lot of little things like that, where yeah. it's like how much can you give yourself that advantage of stealth approaching them, just so they don't you know, get any keys in on that there's a predator approaching, you know, it comes down to stuff like that too. Not as much. So it was just knowing what to do, but still plays a big factor in it. I feel like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same with a lot of trout water that I fish that you you almost, you do really well one or two times and you almost don't want to go back for a little bit. I'm just going to leave the spot. Some people I'm calling some people I know out, but Call them out, baby. They, they just, <laughs> some people don't think like that, though. No, and it's. Like, I told a dear friend of mine, hey, there's this one, you know this this creek. Um, There's this one creek up in the mountains. It's really good. Fish this stretch, and, like, I gave him some, you some know, pins. Info. Some good info, because he's a great friend of mine. The dude fished the same stretch for like four days in a row in like a little mountain stream. And I was like, dude, you can't do that. You can't do that. Like, are you not thinking about like the fish that, you yeah. know, that are residents there? Like, 
they've seen you four days in a row, and you're just gonna you're gonna fish the same stretch every day. Right. Like, that's just. I'm not calling him dumb, but no. And I mean, it takes a certain type of like. Just like I don't even know fishing and hunting intellect to like understand that stuff i mean it really just time on the water like we've said so many times in this podcast already like to truly you have to like you said almost mess up your own your own shit to Mm -hmm. like truly figure that out like we can talk about it as much as we want but like until a human being actually witnesses that you know it's hard to to really grasp that you know I've done it multiple times, even like after I've, I've done that to one spot and then another one I figured out and sometimes it only takes one time fishing it. You fish it one time sometimes. And like I said, sometimes just because there's no one's been there in so long and you don't know that, you know, but I try to be conscious of that stuff because it's like, even if you're wrong, you know, and you're like trying to give it a break and maybe someone else goes in there or whatever, but it's like just you, for yourself, you know, thinking like that and feeling like you're trying to, I think that makes a difference, you know, even if it's just in your own mind, like makes you, makes you understand it more, kind of just feel out the whole fishing vibe of everything, really. Yeah. That happened to me with a, with a carp spot. Really? Um I, I caught like 10 carp like in a day, which is like pretty, it, it's that, nuts. Yeah. That's yeah. sick. <laughs> and it was like this little backwater thing that it, it only, they were trapped in there from super um, shallow. Yeah. And, uh, it was just kind of a ph- phenomenon thing where yeah, they got like, trapped back is, in there. Yeah. It was like one of those things like where you said, if you had left it alone, it yeah. was like legendary. Like, yeah. yeah. Sick. And so of course I go in there and I just Bust destroy them. <laughs> And, like, they're all spooked, and then rain comes, and they're like, yeah, we're getting out of here. <laughs> Never again. Like, I checked yeah. it multiple times. It was just that one day I went back there and just slayed, and then I checked it, like, pretty much every time I Yeah, I you're went. like, I'm going to check it in every condition Yeah, and, and like, see if there's a condition. Ghost yeah. town. Sometimes that's all it takes is just one good just whack on the head. A lot of the times I say, I've, I've said this before, like, in Instagram posts and shit, but... You find a big wad of happy fish like that, the best thing to do is catch one and it'll bail. Like one, I've found, is the best. Like, you know, sometimes, like, when I'm with customers and stuff like that, I can't, like, do that kind of stuff just because it's, like, the novelty of fishing and all. But mm-hmm. the best thing to do when you find something really, really good, you know, cast one in there and catch one and then take a picture or something and bail out. Because then it'll be like that the next time you go there. But if you sit there and catch, even I've found like over two and like they get really fucked up. Dude, I find that a lot more now that where I used to just want to catch as many fish as I could or the freaking biggest fish possible. Now, a lot of times I'll just catch just one. Catch I'm one, like, dude, dude, sweet. That was sick. That was fun. That's what I came here for. Now I'm going to watch and see what's really going on here. Yeah. And you I think learned so much. That when way. you're talking about the time on the water thing, I think it's not just time on the water to you know, learn and get better. But I think a lot of it is time on the water to kind of have an appreciation and un- understand the fishery. And that's why I think I, s- I want to urge people to, to get out and explore their local fisheries or explore wherever it is in the world they want to go. Because I think people can preach conservation stuff all the time. And it's very, it can sound very preachy, but until you actually get out 
you're fishing and you see it first seen it yeah, yeah you've seen it firsthand then you really yourself want to take action um yeah because you you end up being a conservationist yourself like once exactly. you have your you know you're like the gatekeeper of your your own knowledge so to speak mm-hmm. you know so it's like the more you can protect you know what you know if it was freaking 100 years ago we might not be talking this way but it's <laughs> yeah. like nowadays we definitely have to keep that stuff in mind if we want future generations of people to be able to enjoy the same stuff that we're talking about now yep. mm-hmm. who knows people could be listening to this freaking podcast like 50 years from now and being dude, like so wild. dude remember how sick fishing was then yeah you know you remember when we there don't were even like know that we're like or? in the good old days <laughs> Yeah, there's no redfish in the future or something. I don't know. <laughs> God forbid, but... I, gosh, that would be a tragedy. That would be a tragedy. Oh, but that's just because the show. We got to enjoy what we've got. Mm-hmm. We've got it, too. Yeah, you you know, all it. this being said, just get out there and freaking get after it, too. Because yeah. you never know what the future holds. Yeah. Love it, dude. Well, Rob, if, if people want to come down and fish with you, which I highly recommend if any of you guys are in the north carolina southeast region tennessee georgia or whatever south carolina um and you're looking for you know one to learn a lot uh, but also to you know have a fun day and you know possibly get on some redfish i highly recommend you guys go on a trip down here with with rob uh where can people find you what's the best way if they want to book a trip or if they want to reach out to you about um any questions about trip or anything um, I'd say the best way to look up my information and stuff is on my website, citadelmarineservices.com. And that's just my guide service and basically has all my rates and stuff on that on my website and all. But, um, you know, basically doing sight fishing, light tackle, and some offshore fishing, you know, in the southeast region, all throughout South Carolina, really. And just... um. Kind of website's best way to reach me or by phone. Got my my email addresses on there and my cell phone number. People can reach out through text message calls, whatever. Cool. Yeah. We'll and link, I have an we'll Instagram too at Citadel Marine Services. If that's just got a lot of good photos and mm-hmm. good stuff like that. If people like the photography. Yeah, that one recently the star pick was pretty sick. That thing was cool. Yeah. Uh, one more note. Just earlier we were talking about if you're a total newbie to the salt game you know there was a couple tips that that we gave here but like uh, one major tip that we often have talked about on on this podcast is finding a guide like you are never I I feel like you're not going to learn as quick as you would as if if you hired a guide like right off the bat so we've we've always you have the means yes 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 like it's obviously tough at first, but if that will absolutely jumpstart you. Oh my gosh. In your, yes. Right. And I mean, it's not like, too, and I feel the same way too. Cause like if I was going to fish like the freaking Everglades, like I'm, I'm all about like the DIY and like trying to figure it out myself too. But like, I want to go with someone at the same time. Like even if mm-hmm. it's just one time to like get like a yeah. full, a little bit of a grasp on kind of what you're trying to do and stuff. I highly recommend that anywhere anyone goes, really, just mm-hmm. to get that little bit of advantage and stuff, too. I mean, you get what you pay for, too. Like, guided trips are obviously expensive, and anywhere you go, really, I mean, you're talking, like, 
freaking five to eight hundred bucks for a day of fishing or whatever but at the same time you can easily go fishing like five or six times on your own dime and traveling and all that crap too it it saves you it saves you some just figuring <laughs> i think above catching fish though is the knowledge that you can get off of uh, through a guided trip. Right, that's what I mean, too. Yeah, yeah. it's not it's even about like, the fish catching. It's just being out there with someone yep. who's been in the environment mm-hmm. a lot. Because there's a lot you that have. you can take away then from that to go apply to your own trip, right? And obviously, right. Like, obviously, like we said, not everyone has the means to do it. I definitely didn't when I was getting into it. Yeah, me either. But even if you have a local, you know, outfitter, or if you, you know, reach out to someone, you know, who who's in your area that guides you maybe have some questions or something that could always be an, an outlet. If yeah, for sure. I, I, I answer questions. people's questions that just message me on email and Instagram all the time. Like, you and know, you don't sometimes say, where they, are you fishing? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes you get those questions like that, but at the same time, I always just try to answer those people in the same way I answered talking to y'all too. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to be like, tell you to go to freaking Ricky Bobby Creek or whatever, but it's <laughs> like you go to, you know, explain to someone how to look for the in the right resources to figure it out i mean yeah make whatever it makes it more valuable for everyone really mm-hmm. i feel like last thing uh let's just end on this what do you think is your biggest uh what's been the biggest like learning curve or biggest takeaway from uh red fishing over your your career or maybe maybe a misconception that Something that, like the, I guess here, let me reframe my question like this. What's been the biggest light bulb moment for you with red fishing that's helped things kind of click? I'd say if, of all the red fishing I've done too, like in the, the first few years, I would really like was kind of like even what you guys mentioned before, like everyone thinks it's so tidal based, which it is. Like there's always like a different, best tide for like every different spot like obviously there's like always some like sweet spot in the tide but the real thing is just to not like you can't just be like oh you only fish low tide this time of year or you only fish shit flood tides this time of year or whatever like you just have to get out there and look for fish because i I mean there's just so many places where you can see those things or or catch them or whatever where I mean, you're just not going to figure it out if you're thinking, you know, inside the box. Like, there's so many people that just are like low tide. Like, all you hear about is low tide and high tide. Think, do you ever hear people talking about red fishing? Like, they're like, yeah, we're at mid tide. You know what I mean? But it's just like you can catch them at any time in the tide, like, and see them and get great shots sight fishing. Like, it's just all about the place and time that you're at. So I just always urge people to just don't be afraid to get out there and and look at all times, you know, because it's a big misconception of, like, flood tides, especially. Like, people think that's, like, the, the main gig, and it's, like, that's such a small fraction of what I do. Like, for guiding, I mean, I do, like, literally, like, 15 or 20 of those trips out of the whole year. It's, like, not a lot, you know what I mean? That's four hours of fishing, too. Mm-hmm. It's the only so time you, you can catch them. Right. It's the only, it's the only time. time. You can't only flood tide fish. <laughs> but, I <laughs> mean, I a thought. lot of people, like, legitimately, like, basically fish like that. Yeah. Which is, which is like, I mean, that's definitely probably the most fun way to catch them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that being said, you're missing out on 99% of the opportunity if you're just trying to, like, figure out, like, a certain tide. 
you know, it's more just actually getting out there. A lot of it's still sight fishing at the end of the day. Right. So yeah, exactly. Even no if matter. you don't see them tail. Right. Yeah, that too. I mean, so many people think that they're going to see the fish stick its tail out of the water from super far away, but you have to look into the water, <laughs> believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sh- I mean, even for me, that stuff, all that stuff took so long to figure out just to, because you have to look hard. When you're looking through the surface glare into the water for a body, yeah. And not like some surface disturbance. That's a whole different kind of focus. Like you, you have to be so focused. Yeah. So awesome. that's my two cents on it. Well, sweet dude. We appreciate it, man. Um, this is fun. We were, felt like we were podcasting all day because we were just shooting the shit. Dude, <laughs> all yeah. day. We did so many <laughs> podcasts today. <laughs> uh, it's like yeah. number five. Yeah. Right. Well, we appreciate all you guys tuning in, hanging out with us tonight. Um, Always, always appreciate the support and you guys tuning in and sharing the podcast, leaving us comments and messages and all that. So, um, yeah, come go check out Rob's Instagram or if you're in the area and want to come do a trip, come check him out. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Peace out. Twenty twenty two.